WHT HD1 New York. This is a special coronavirus edition of Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers on Hot 97. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers and our continuing coverage on the coronavirus crisis. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We are broadcasting live to you via Hot 97 New York and live streaming around the world even in Cameroon, on Hot97.com and the free Hot97 app. You can find me and follow me at Lisa Evers on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at Lisa Evers and on at Hot97. And uh, we're streaming live on Instagram Live on my Instagram page, at Lisa Evers. You can also check out at underscore Street Soldiers. Uh, first of all, today is Mother's Day. So we want to wish a very happy Mother's Day to all of the moms who are with us physically and in spirit in our lives, and also to all the aunts, grandmothers, godmothers, and everyone showing a mother's unconditional love to a child in their life. We recognize your devotion and your sacrifices, and we're sending you lots and lots of love. It's a very tough Mother's Day for a lot of families, a lot of people, because we can't be together physically. So um, we just wanted to send our love and send a big shout-out to everybody and to all those who recently lost their moms and to those whose mothers are suffering through the loss of a child. Our hearts go out to you, and we're sending you a big virtual Street Soldiers hug. Um, so we're really thinking about you all today and let's just everybody put out lots and lots and lots of positive vibes. Um, over the next two hours, we have a lot, a lot has been going on this week as it has been for the last couple of months since we, uh, first became aware of this evil disease called the coronavirus. We're going to be breaking down the latest developments for you. We're going to hear from some very special guests who are going to give us a clear picture of what's really going on. You know about the social uh, social distancing enforcement. We're going to be talking about that, some health de- developments. We're going to be talking about those as well. And we're also going to be looking forward to the future in terms of what is happening with our economy, with jobs, and with our people. Yesterday, uh, we took Dr. Manny to the Bronx River Houses, his first uh, visit there to NYCHA, to NYCHA development. And we, we saw um, CCOP, the Citywide Council of Presidents of NYCHA Presidents, Danny Barber and Resident Association President Norma Saunders and their amazing volunteers distributing meals and groceries to NYCHA residents, many of whom have lost their jobs. So a big street soldier shout out to them and to all the volunteers. And I have to say, it's just, it's incredible. This, this is being done. Yes, they're, they're being, being done in partnership with World Chef Kitchens. The, the framework was arranged by, uh, New York State Assemblyman Michael Blake from the Bronx, who's running for Congress. And, uh, but to see the, to see the coordination, to see the way it was done with dignity, to see the way that it was done in such an organized fashion, everybody social distancing, everybody wearing masks. It was just really amazing and uplifting to me to see how the community was t- taking it on themselves to actually make sure that residents, many of whom had lost their jobs for the first time, many of whom were on a food line for the first time in their lives, uh, we're out there doing it. So big shout out to all the volunteers, everybody in Bronx River. And um, also, we were in Brooklyn at Lafayette Gardens talking with President Tyree Stainback and his volunteers 
who are doing food and meals distribution to their residents. They have residents speaking four or five different languages, um, some from different countries who are new to the United States. So they've managed to coordinate everything, get everything translated that they needed to, to communicate with those residents. They're doing wellness checks on residents. And uh, President Steinbach tells me that they have lost about 30 residents at, Laf- that, at Lafayette Gardens to the coronavirus. So our thoughts and prayers uh, go out to those families there who have lost loved ones to the coronavirus. And uh, I just wanted to shout them out because when you see firsthand, Dr. Manny is here with us again, and when you see firsthand what they're doing and how how dedicated they are and the coordination that goes into it, you know, they're not getting paid for it. And it's it really helping neighbors helping neighbors. Correct. Uh, Lisa, it was a great experience and uh, incredible leadership. Yeah, incredible leadership. And also, too, they were giving out those. And also the other thing I want to let people know, because I know there's a lot of skepticism about these giveaway programs and the food was coming. They have uh, regular food deliveries at Bronx River, thanks to Fresh Direct. So big shout out to the president of Fresh Direct. And then also they had the sanitizers from Governor Cuomo. They had the masks from Mayor de Blasio. And those are being given out. So we saw that ourselves firsthand. And I just want to let people know, because there's a lot of skepticism about, oh, well, where is this going? Where's that going? You see the press conferences. We were on the ground yesterday for the whole day, and uh, we, we saw it firsthand being done. So it's it just it just shows you when there's a commitment on the part of the leadership to help the people, and when you have good local leadership on the ground in terms of our community leaders and our elected officials who are close to the community, like Michael Blake, and that they are actually making a huge, huge difference in, pe- in people's lives. So there's a lot of stories this week, a lot of developments. And um, the the other piece of it, too, you know, we're going to talk about the racial disparity in social distancing enforcement a little bit later in the show. We're very uh, looking forward to having on NYPD Brooklyn North Brooklyn North uh, Chief Jeffrey Madry talking about what he's been doing with the community. They even did a, a DJ battle to try and improve relations with the community. Phil Hamilton coming up shortly about the social distancing arrest. But by far the one that was the most disturbing to me of the week. And I talked about it on Instagram Live. And I just want you to know, thank you to everybody that's been following me on the Instagram Live reports. I do them as much as time permits because I feel that it's a way to easily get you information. And also to give you a heads up, we talked about the children and this mystery illness. Uh, that's been happening and starting to uh, appearing to take more lives and making more kids sick. So this this uh, we lost one of the first children to die, a five year old boy here in New in New York City. New York State health officials now investigating more than seventy cases. So I, I want to start because I know a lot of people are thinking about this and kind of getting panicky about this because first we ter- were told that kids were not affected by it. Um, but now it seems that they are. So let's find out more about this from our street soldiers medical expert, Dr. Emmanuel Fambu. Uh, we call him Dr. Manny. He's a medical doctor with an MBA, a surgeon, and a best-selling author. Dr. Manny, thank you, and uh, for always being with us. And thank you for for coming out to the NYCHA developments and and seeing what's really going on in the community, how this coronavirus is affecting people. Thanks for having me. When you heard about this, um, the so-called mystery illness with the kids. Can you explain that to us? Because we were told from the very beginning, oh, children are immune. This is the at least one blessing of this that we don't have to worry about little kids getting it. Correct. So um, the, the first thing uh, to remember is, I mean, since we've, we've been having these conversations, we've, we've always pointed out that we will learn more um, as we get more experience with the virus. Right. Uh, clearly, from guidelines and to what we're learning about a disease has been completely different. 
about a month ago, there was a publication um, that spoke about uh, this particular virus having an effect on uh, kind of like the blood vessels in the heart. Right. Um, this is about two weeks ago. There was a publication about that. And we also learned that people were having these heart attacks, um, right, like symptoms that was related to COVID-19. So that was a very interesting piece. So talking about uh, children specifically, uh, there is now a new correlation between, uh, you know, young people having uh, COVID-19 and something called uh, Kawasaki-like disease, uh, right? So Kawasaki is a rare disease that usually happens um, in kids, which is basically something called a vasculitis, which means inflammation of your blood vessels, right? That happens in kids, usually kids that are less than five years old. So it's not very frequent, but most of the time when kids have it, uh, they could recover in due course um, of time. But when you have this disease, these kids have high fever, they have rashes, um, they have some kind of abdominal discomfort, just basic inflammation of, of blood vessels. So that's what happens in these particular kids, but commonly uh, in children less than five. In this particular case, what is happening is the kids that are being affected here are actually much older some, in some cases. So some, some of them are in their teens, um, right, uh, or much older than five. But they, 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 they exhibit similar symptoms to what is in Kawasaki, right? So that's, that's the interesting piece um, that we see here. So a lot of these kids, for example, will have fever. And today we know that people get sick. You don't want to go to the hospital, right? Right, exactly. Correct. So you have kids at home and they have fever. And we have this assumption that kids are not being affected here. We're looking for respiratory symptoms specifically, uh, right, to be severe cases of, of COVID-19. And what happens, whether it's through telemedicine or you contact your doctor, they probably say, hey, let the kids stay at home and see if they recover. Uh, the dangerous part here in what we know with, with Kawasaki is uh, these kids also have a high tendency to have cardiovascular aneurysms. Which means that even after a heart attack, is that like a heart attack? Correct. So, very interestingly, in this particular case, um, more in a heart attack, we have like an obstruction of blood vessels. Right. What happens in when the aneurysm is you have like a balloon in of the blood vessel walls. It gets weak. Think about like a balloon, right? If you blow a balloon over and over again, the walls get weaker, and when you blow it one time, then it pops. Right. Right. Oh dear. Correct. So it's very interesting. It's, it's very good. You know, even if the kid has, you know, these fever symptoms and they're recovered, please uh, contact your doctor still and make sure they probably get a cardiac echo. So let me ask you this, because w there was one there was one case in uh, one of the other cities here in the U.S. where a boy, like I think he was 12 years old, his younger brother who was a Boy Scout did CPR and that saved his life. There was a 12 year old girl at down south. She was. Um, she was actually had stopped breathing for two minutes, but luckily was able to 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 get help. So are they are they having heart attacks? Are they because you know the the kids apparently didn't have any coronavirus symptoms before that, which is very interesting um, in this particular case, right? Uh, because a lot of these kids are actually showing up with these symptoms without necessarily having the traditional symptoms that you have with COVID nineteen, which is why. Uh, everyone is investigating this, is trying to find out, have you missed other cases, <laughs> right? It's quite possible, uh, you know, there are many uh, kids that had uh, the symptoms of disease. Because uh, what's something that you find more common here is like abdominal pain, for example, right? So you have like a mouth fever, uh, abdominal pain, and, and then you probably think, well, it's, uh, and they have diarrhea, which is very different kind of symptoms. So those are things that we're actually looking for now in kids. So let me ask you this, because some of the some of the reports, what do you think about these reports where they say these children, many of them, because there's not that many cases yet, but it seems as if they were exposed to coronavirus or they had family members that had coronavirus and they didn't appear to get sick. And then later on now, this this is why this is happening at this particular time. 
Correct, uh, so, which is very interesting. So, if you, so you believe that? Do you, you think that's a strong possibility or it's... Correct. So uh, first of all, I think the notion that kids were immune to this uh, kind of didn't make sense, right? Because kids are humans too. Right. <laughs> right, right. And people are in close quarters and everybody's breathing on everybody. Correct. But younger people are um, probably much healthier and have less uh, severe conditions. So they are most likely actually to have a fever and then recover. Um, compared to the elderly uh, patient population. Right. So it, it was probably there and probably mild kind of fevers and it, it's probably taken as, oh, it's a season and kids have fever and they recovered, but we didn't see the res respiratory kind of symptoms. We do know that majority of people that died from this will have severe disease are patients that have comorbid conditions, right? So people that you see that have diabetes, uh, heart failure, asthma, those kind of things. So in a much younger patient population, you probably don't see those kind of symptoms um, immediately available. And now we are learning that this disease might present with different symptoms in a younger patient population so the thing so the symptoms to, to watch out for just to just to bring it to a very basic thing because especially to this time of year look it's may we're wearing winter coats sweaters and you know and then who knows two days from now it could be 70 or 80 degrees so it's like kids are going to get colds kids get stomach aches that type of thing but the the, the rash piece is Correct. very unusual right yes so yes they, they get a rash so you, you see a rash um that that, that uh, comes up you, you hear of abdominal pain you hear a fever in, in these patients um, populations so those are key things to look for so um, the kids so when you talk about fever here's the other thing i wanted to ask you when you talk about a high fever in a child like one 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 report, one article I read, they go 104 degrees for three days. If your child has 104 degree temperature, shouldn't that be like an immediate call if it doesn't to doctor or somebody? Correct. So uh, under normal circumstances, uh, we tolerate much higher temperatures, slightly higher temperatures in, in younger people, right? Uh, your body is fighting infection and it goes away. In this particular time that we're talking about, I would throw caution to the wind and I think it's more, it, you, it's, you better be more proactive than be more reactive in this particular case. Right. So if you have kids that have symptoms, do not just say, hey, I'll wait for them to recover. If they have this kind of sim additional symptoms like abdominal pain or right, or like rash. Like vomiting, they get Vomiting, vomiting, diarrhea, correct, all diarrhea, these things, right? Correct. Please call the doctor, even if the kid has recovered. Because in Kawasaki, we know that these kids down the road could have um, coronary aneurysms. Like I said, it's like the, the blood vessels, even though they recovered, the blood vessels might have gotten weaker. And down the road, they might actually rupture, right? So that's a concern here. That's something that is com common in Kawasaki. Oh, my gosh. All right, 1-800-223-97. But it's very uncommon, so just don't freak out. Okay, so yeah, because so could you please give us a perspective on that? So you, it's very uncommon compared to the... You know, millions of cases that the over a million cases that we have of coronavirus in the U.S. Correct. Right when, it, when this guy reported, for example, the American Heart Association um, actually uh, published a report um, to specifically say parents should not necessarily freak out. Right. Don't freak out for any fever that you had. But please do check in. It's not very common. It's, I mean, even Kawasaki has been around for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. When I was in medical school, we talked about Kawasaki disease. Right. So but it wasn't that common, but it was very common. If you find it. It was in patients that are less than five years old. In this case, it's different. So we are looking at it. But if you have the symptoms, please do reach out. And that's a, that is an unusual combo, though, right? The, the well, not the stomach and the fever, but then you throw in a rash. That's kind of an unusual thing. Right? It, it is yes, the rash piece yes is unusual. Um, in this particular case, uh, to see someone having fever and a cold, and then you have a rash. If you have a normal flu, you don't have a rash usually, right? So looking at that rash. Abdominal pain because of the inflammation that takes place. Um, you know, having diarrhea, vomiting. You definitely want to um, check in now. And if you recover, please um, make sure that uh, you follow up with your uh, pediatrician after. All right, 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. This is Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. Dr. Manny is with us. Uh, Dr. Manny, we just heard this week also, too, coronavirus has hit the White House. The uh, valet to President Trump 
who brings him his Diet Cokes and his lunch, uh, tested positive for coronavirus. Dr. Fauci is in, I don't, they're calling it kind of like semi-quarantine. Some of the other people from the White House Coronavirus Task Force are also, you know, practicing the quarantine. But we saw a lot of them together, all packed together behind a table during a lot of those press conferences, nobody wearing a mask. Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. I mean, we have been given talking about this social distancing thing, right? And we've seen what has happened since we started practicing social distancing. The, the numbers have, have gone down. Um, if you turn on your TV and just follow what the mayor or the governor, uh, what they're talking about, you see the numbers of readmissions have, have gone down uh, significantly um, in the hospitals because of social distancing. And so we have to take guidance uh, uh, to this. No one is immune, right, um, uh, from this. And so, yes, Dr. Fauci and everyone else that's been in contact with the person infected should follow the same guidelines and self-quarantine. And then in terms of the uh, the precautions, when, when we were in, in NYCHA yesterday, with Bronx River houses, Lafayette Gardens houses, what was your what was your take on? I mean, I didn't see anybody without a mask. There was one one teenager without one. But the president said, here, we got one for you. And, and he put it on and, and did his thing. But what did you think about the compliance with the mask and the social distancing? I thought it was incredible yesterday, right? I mean, we went uh, to the Bronx, uh, we went to Queens, uh, we went uh, to Brooklyn, uh, and it was fascinating to watch how every single person was literally, everyone had a face mask on, right? I mean, uh, even in Queens, we saw... In Jackson Heights. uh, Jackson Heights, uh, we saw an entire shop like selling face masks, right? Different designs and different colors, (laughs) different things that were out there, right? So everyone had a face mask. I saw people actually had double face masks, right? So extra precaution is always good, so there's no complaints about that. But it was really great to to see how proactive people were um, in this particular uh, situation. Everyone we spoke to people, they had their face mask on. Right. right? People Everybody. Correct. And, and very interesting also, um, you know, looking at had actually in, in some in some of um, these communities, you actually had, you know, spots on the ground to actually make people respect the six feet. Right. <laughs> in Bronx River, shout out to Bronx River. They had the those uh, like stick. I don't know what to call Sidewalk stickers. stickers. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful, bright yellow. colored stickers. Like you stand here, you stand here, you stand there, and um, it was it was very very well organized. So I thought that was what great. I actually find more interesting and fascinating was the sense of community um, among people. Right, everyone was looking out for each other. Everyone was concerned about their neighbors. Uh, you know, people were checking in on their neighbors to make sure they were okay. Uh, it was fascinating to actually see that within New York City we still have that heart and we have that spirit. And and also that that sense of community. It was fascinating. Because that's what, that's what it's going to take, right? Correct. Correct. 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Can we also, uh, the, city's, the city also announced this week, they are opening, which they just opened the end of last week, and more will be happening uh, tomorrow, uh, five, these, these COVID-19 testing centers for antibodies. Can you just explain to us, because I keep getting this question on Instagram, at Lisa Evers. People are saying, if I, they go for an, what is, what is the point of going for an antibody test? If they tell you, okay, it looks like you already had the coronavirus, but even if you already had it, you can get it again. Why should, what do you think about people having antibody tests? What can you tell us? Correct. So, there are two kinds of tests, uh, two main categories of tests here, right? So one is the antigen test. So if you have symptoms or you want to find out if you're a carrier, you do the antigen test, which looks for the virus. Which means basically, is it positive or is it negative? Correct. Is the virus there or not? Do, right. do you have the virus in you? Right. <laughs> that, that's, what, that's what the antigen test is looking for. Okay. The antibody test is looking for, have you been exposed to the virus? 
So you could have you could be exposed to the virus and have symptoms, and which means you are still actively having the virus. That's one thing. So you could be positive, or you could test positive for antibody test, meaning that you've been exposed and you recovered uh, from it. At this moment, uh, the hope is that if you have been exposed and recovered, that you might, you might, or most likely, will not get infected again. <laughs> that's the hope, right? And most likely, most likely, not a guarantee, but most likely, most likely, and that's the basis for the vaccine. If you look at the vac, the whole idea behind the vaccine is that we, you know, inject you with, um, you know, with, with a fake virus or whatever it is that would trigger that mechanism for your body to produce an antibody or a memory to it, right? To so say next time, I've been exposed I'm to fighting this. this. I'm, I'm fighting, fighting this. this off. Correct. That's so. That's what that's what vaccines do. Vaccines help you produce those antibodies against the, the, the antigen, which is the virus in this particular case. So the hope is that if you test negative for the antigen test and you test positive for the antibody test, that means that. You, so negative for antigen means right. you, you don't have the virus, right. active you virus, virus, but you have the antibody. That means that you have been exposed and you recovered. And you recovered, so you, you're in pretty good, pretty good shape. Correct. But if you have a positive antibody and a positive antigen, that means that you have an active infection. Oh, okay, so, good. Correct. All right. So you need so, both to rule out. So people should really get both. Depending on the case, if you have symptoms, of course, right? If you have symptoms, yes, you do both. But if you don't have symptoms, the antibody test uh, should be good. Should be good, and then you get a, get an idea, all right? One eight hundred two two three ninety seven ninety seven. That's one eight hundred two two three ninety seven ninety seven. Doctor Manny with us here on Street Soldiers. Let's go to Dennis right now. Dennis, hi, you're on Hot ninety seven. Go right ahead. Good morning, Lisa. First, uh, Happy Mother's Day. Thank I hope you. I remember your nephew. You mentioned situation. I hope he's doing much better. He's doing much, much better, Dennis. Thank you so much. That's great news. And also, my question is for Doctor Manny. Once the person has uh, N95 mask, how long uh, should it be allowed to be worn before it should be replaced? Okay. And should be be replaced? All right. Good question, Doctor Manny. Bring the, the N95 mask. What about what about that? That's interesting. In normal times, you should dispose of masks after you use them. That, that's, that's, I mean, these are disposable masks in general, right? right? So the idea was not to hold them for a long period of time, but based on today's situation, if it's still working and it's clean, uh, clean by, it's not dirty. I mean, some of these are white, right? So if you have all different food stains and all that stuff on it. Or just <laughs> like soot. Like dirt or something. Correct. Or makeup and all that stuff on it, right? You, you can wipe it down. I mean, cause if that's the only one you no, have. No, I throw them out. Yeah. Correct. But, but the key element of why you're wearing a mask, um, if the idea there is for filtration purposes, then I, I would say you should hold on to it, um, as long as you can, as you could hold it, right? So and the fabric filter. ones, wash them every night. Yeah. And the fabric ones, you wash them. But, uh, once we have enough masks and they're, they're massively available, I think, uh, the, the ideal thing would be to use them and then get rid of them and get a new one. What do you think about people putting the, um, t like tissue behind, the they have the mask and then they're putting like some kind of tissue or cotton as like another thing. Is that a good idea? Of course. So any layer that you, additional layer that you have, uh, think about it like a winter coat, right? When you put on the more layers you put on, the warmer you are. The warmer right? you're going to be. the same kind of concept, And the more right? protected. Correct. So if you have, if you have a, a, even a surgical mask and you put an additional thing or you put two scarves over, it's better than just having just one on. Exactly. All right. 1-800-223-9797. Jack the Mac telling me we've got to take a little break right here. We'll be back right after this. This is Hot 97 Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. And uh, happy Mother's Day to all the moms, all the moms who are with us physically, who the, all the moms who are only with us spiritually, and everybody in a child's life who is performing that daily task of, you know, unconditional love that mothers are famous for. So that means grandmothers, aunts, godmothers, neighbors, 
you name it. There's a lot of women that are uh, filling those gaps in our children's lives. So big shout out to all of you because I consider you mothers and mother love um, as well. Joining me in studio are Street Soldiers medical expert, Dr. Manny Fambu. And uh, we're taking your telephone calls at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Um, any questions you have about the coronavirus, any questions you have about the masks and the gloves. Um, Dr. Manny, I want to talk about where we are in terms of being close to reopening because you saw for yourself yesterday in the in the field in the streets in the communities how hard hit people are being being by this coronavirus economically a lot of people are on record numbers on unemployment more people proportionately than the uh, during the Great Depression, very high, unprecedented high unemployment rate. We talked with some of those people yesterday. And then in terms of what it's going to take to reopen uh, Las Vegas, they're saying, OK, let, let us be your guinea pig. Let us try to reopen in a safe way where we're going to take people's temperatures and have the slot machines six feet apart or whatever they're going to do to try to make it um, make it safer. But what what kinds of things have to happen? Because the the, the thank thank God, the number of lives lost in New York State, New York City continues to drop. The intubations continue to drop. The new cases, that's kind of staying the same and going up a little bit because of the testing. But what has to happen where they finally go, okay, we're going to allow some things to reopen? Well, we eventually have to let some things open. Right? We, can't, we can't stay shut forever. No, that, that, people that, can't, you know. Correct. And so I understand the, the pressure that is on um, our, you know, political leaders, you know, to make this decision to reopen. Even yesterday in Brooklyn, uh, where we have a conversation uh, with a gentleman uh, that was on dialysis and he, I mean that he has to get uh, dialysis three times a week. Right. So you can't just keep him home. And so he was mentioning uh, getting body temperatures checked before they get on dialysis. Right. He right? said now they get they check the body temperature before you can go into the dialysis center. Correct. Which is the same thing you mentioned about in Vegas, what they're trying to do. Right. So it's that same kind of concept. But we know that people could be asymptomatic carriers. Right. So temperature is, is not necessarily the best way uh, to look at to look at this. Right. So if you're a carrier of the virus or let's say on your way you know, to to the, to the grocery store, you get in contact with the virus and you're carrying that virus, the temperature will not do anything because you, you, you haven't had enough time to actually, you know, create a fever, right? So, so that, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a quick fix to the situation, but I don't think uh, temperature will be the key way to get us back to normal. But with that being said, we have to return to normal and the best way to do it is through testing. And so the way I, I see it working um, and the, gov the federal government has proposed um, setting opening guidelines in different phases, right? And I think um, what will end up happening is in the first phase is when we get testing done, those that test positive, uh, which means positive for the antigen, which means you're active. That means you move to one category and quarantine yourself for 14 days. If you get if you have a fever or have symptoms during that period, you get treated. Um, if after 14 days, no symptoms and you recover and you have an antibody test that shows that you've recovered and there's negative antigen tests, then you get back to normal, right? You, you could go back out. People that have antibody positive and antigen negative uh, will, will return back, uh, will be able to go out uh, back to, to the norm. And it would not surprise me if at some point we have to actually carry this card, just like we carry vaccine cards, <laughs> right? Uh, vaccine really? cards. Really? Yeah, this has been real discussions taking place, right? To say, hey, I've been vaccinated, so I'm allowed to, to get back in the movie theater, or I'm allowed to go to a concert, or I'm allowed to meet other people. Oh, wow. So how far away do you think we are? Because, you know, all public events in New York City have been canceled through the end of, through the end of June, basically to July 1st. I have DJs texting me, when are the clubs going to be opening? 
Uh, when can they get back to work? The DJs are taking taking a big hit in terms of their income, and in terms of you know, so are the artists, so so are all the businesses, all these uh, small business owners. Like how far like how far away are we from that? That 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 is the challenge, and that's the question that needs to be answered, right? Um, you have to look at the risk benefit analysis piece of this, right? We can't keep people out of work forever, <laughs> right? Uh, people, uh, everyone is running to your savings right now and spending their last dime. If they had savings, if they had savings, correct. And we know pe- a lot of people don't have savings uh, to begin with, right? right. Even, in, even if you had savings, um, everyone has bills, and you have to pay those bills, and and so it's getting very difficult. So the question is going to become, uh, y- you know. What what is the cost of reopening? But we have to reopen. So I think the best way to reopen. So take take a nightclub for example. Uh, if there was a nightclub and there were a bunch of people going in and it, and an artist was coming, what do you think the insurance company just to license that place for for the insurance? It's going to be like millions of dollars. Correct. So the insurance company. So in general, so you, have right. to open, you need insurance right to throw an event. So the insurance company doesn't want that risk to get sued. Right. And so they have to put some precautions in place. And the precautions would be to to show that they actually minimize the risk of spreading infections. The best way to do oh. it. You see, the best way to do it is to say everyone that's in here has been screened or has done something. Or has, has the done. vaccine or has this or has that. Correct. And for people, people also have to be comfortable to show up, right? Think about a movie theater today. Right. You, no one is going to show up in a movie theater with a bunch of people inside no. or restaurants or, or bars or nightclub. Um, you know, you might have a few people that might, might not care and show up, but in you know, overall, people, people are concerned. So the establishments have to make sure that people are safe and they feel comfortable. All right, one eight hundred two two three ninety seven ninety seven. Let's go right now to uh, Sam. Is that got a question about the masks? Hey, Sam, how you doing? Good. And one, I heard that when you take the mask off, you're supposed to put on a new mask. Don't put back on the same mask. And I heard also heard that it's unhealthy to be having the mask on all day because cause you, in terms of breathing, prevents your proper breathing. Thank you. Okay, th- thank you very much, Samuel. Pre- appreciate that, Doctor Mandy. What about the, the the mask? We talked about that a little bit. The um, in ter- terms of you have to be careful when you're taking it off because y- you you have the term uh, uh, chin mask or mask chin. Ch- yeah, the chin mask. The chin mask because a lot of people put on their face mask and guilty. pull it. I'm guilty. I have to admit. Me too. We're all guilty. Well, put the, <laughs> pull the mask down and then on the on the chin and then you put it back over. Your face when you are around people is that correct? Or when you're is eating? Is that safe? When you're eating, you eating? Right? Right. You, you put on your mask. Right. And, and or so, taking a drink of water. Correct. I mean, you can't drink through. I mean, right. so eventually, I mean, I was actually thinking about this. That eventually, you end up face masks that have like that mouth. A place for a straw or like a mouth open. straw. You can put it in. <laughs> so you can suck on a straw. But no. But seriously, what about the? What about when you do? You know, pull it down the chin and then you get in the elevator. You put it back up again and you go up. You know. Correct. So first we have to look at what, what is the purpose of a mask, right? And we talked about, so if you look at a mask in general, one is to prevent you um, from getting other people infected. So if you put on a mask, I'm, I'm not talking about an N95 mask, the traditional mask that we're all supposed to wear. Uh, if you're not a frontline worker, the tradition, like whatever mask most people are wearing today. The idea is if you cough or you sneeze, it doesn't get on other people. Right. And so, so even if you reuse it, then you're infecting yourself because I mean, it's whatever it's from your body. So you should maintain that, that, that circle within yourself. And so the idea is to keep that clean in general, right? Just to keep it clean. But that's what you're using that for. So if it's dirty, please wash it. 
in a tradition in a in a regular world where we had enough PPEs and everyone had access to this, you would have the disposable ones would probably be best, right? Correct. Like, like a paper napkin, you use it, you throw it away. Correct. So so think about it this way: is if you had toilet paper at home and that was your last toilet paper, I know toilet paper is pretty fa- uh, common now. I remember yesterday, Lisa, we saw a gentleman walking around with a with like a <laughs> case, like a, a, case like a case in his arm, <laughs> walk around the street, right? But think about it this way: if you, that's your only role, what would you do? Or if you had food and that was you only had limited amounts of food, you ration you ration it out, right? So that is the same kind of concept. Here, Russian, do the best you can. All right, we got a lot of phone calls for you. Let's go to uh, let, let's go to Justin right now. Justin, hi, you're on Hot 97 Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers and Dr. Manny. Go right ahead. Yeah, I want to know how do we know if these vaccines that they want to mandate are safe? You All know, right, we just hopping right into mandating vaccines to go back outside. How do we know these are safe? All right, excellent question. How do we know they're safe? Because, you know, there's a lot of controversy about vaccines in general and a lot of questions and suspicions about them. How do people know they're safe? Plus, the other thing, too, is, Dr. Manny, there's a lot of these, as with the testing, there are tes- there's testing being done in places that haven't usually been doing testing. There's new organizations doing testing. How do people know with this vaccine what they're really getting? Correct. So, I mean, when we get it, we don't have it yet. Let's be clear. No, correct. No, but that's been the biggest concern here, right? Uh, when when you hear when you heard about the president, for example, talking about hydroxychloroquine, and which is still a big debate today, right. people were saying, "How do we know it's safe? And how do we know it works?" So there's a process where you actually show that a drug is safe, and that it it's also works, which is called efficacy in medicine. We develop a drug, and so that's why we push. And now we know that we don't have any clear results whether it works or it's safe for hydro, hydroxychloroquine. Vaccines in general now, so we're going for vaccines. There are over 100 studies going on right now looking at different vaccines. Usually when you, once you get a, a vaccine or a drug approved, you, you have to show that it's safe and it works. And that's what Dr. F- uh, Fauci has been pushing on. And I'm great we have people like that um, in the government pushing to say, no, we can't hasten and get things in the, in the market, then find out what happens down the road. This has happened in m- multiple cases, like thalidomide, for example, that we know kids were born with, with flipper limbs. With birth, de- birth, birth defects, defects right? right? And so we know, so we know these things. Uh, so there are many drugs that have been used in the past. You'll find out down the road, oh, we had these massive uh, side effects. So yes, it is, it is correct that we should be concerned about the side effects and we should look at the side effect profile um, of these drugs. That's why we are saying a vaccine would take at least 12 to 18 months to get to the market. There's no quick fix for the vaccine. Right. And they want to make sure that in, ter- in, in different populations, in different age groups, in different gen- you know, gender, like all of those different categories, that it's safe. Correct. As people are having this debate today about mandatory vaccine, there's no vaccine to be mandatory. So people, I see people protesting the idea of... A well, mandatory I, vaccine? Yeah, we no don't vaccine. have a vaccine yet. There's no vaccine yet to, to give anyone any vaccine. So there's no reason to fight that battle. <laughs> First, there's no vaccine. So we have over 100 studies going on. When we find out, yes, um, over time, we still have to make sure it's safe, but... 18 months from now, 12 months from now, let's not rush it. Let's make sure we have the right uh, drug uh, to get to the, I mean, and, the right And let's vaccine. see that it's FDA approved and all of that. Correct. Okay. Let's go to uh, Key right now. Key, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi. Um, first of all, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. No problem. All right. So while this happened, I've been doing a lot of research on myself. And one thing I know, especially for us African-Americans, is we need to take vitamin D. But um, I haven't really, like, seen nothing that tells us how much vitamin D. So how much vitamin D should we be taking per day? And is there such a thing as too much vitamin D per day? All right, Dr. Manny, what do, what do you think about that? There is such a thing as too much vitamins and too much of everything. Too much water is not good. Too much vitamin A is not good. The, the ideal situation here is that you want to 
I mean, for, for every single person, there's different requirements, right? So there's no one standard dose for every single person with vitamins, right? So I, I think you, you should look at, um, you know, your age, your, your body weight, your height, you know, to, to determine uh, what is recommended from you. You could talk to your doctor to give that recommendation. What is the ideal vitamins that you should be taking, right? But overall, we know vitamins are good. You could get vitamins as well from natural sources, <laughs> right, from fruits. Sunlight, right. Yeah, correct. For sunlight, uh, vitamin D, for example, right, from from sunlight, your vitamin Bs, um, your A, vitamin As, uh, vitamin Es, right? So you, you have your antioxidant vitamins you should take um, on a regular basis and to keep yourself healthy, right? But the dose is, it depends on the individual. Right, and there's there's some websites, you could see like WebMD, right? Correct, but... Oh, Talking about too much vitamins, for example, right. my, my, my mother, happy Mother's Day uh, to my mom, uh, but um, she's probably listening out of Seattle. But You're allowed to shout her out. The, I give a shout out, <laughs> right? Uh, I'll go into that later, but since this came up with vitamins, <laughs> someone like her, for example, she was popping vitamins like every single day, right? So she ends up having like incredibly high doses of vitamin, of a vitamin B's. And she, she, and I said, what happened? Oh, she doesn't know what happened. So after digging further, I find out she's been popping like gazillion of these pills every single day. So it's extremely high. You don't want to take too many vitamins. Okay. Too much, too, too much is not good. You need to be flat. Okay. 1-800-223-9797. This is Street Soldiers. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back. This is Hot 97 Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers, and uh, we are broadcasting live on Hot97.com and the Hot97 app around the world and also on my Instagram live, at Lisa Evers. I'm joined by our Street Soldiers medical expert, Dr. Manny Fambu, and uh, we are joined on the line right now by NYPD Chief of the Chief of Patrol Borough, Brooklyn North, Chief Jeffrey Madry, and I wanted to have Chief Madry come on because he's one of the most community-minded leaders in the NYPD over a period of many, many years, uh, broke a lot of ground with the community, and I wanted to talk with him about a couple of things. So, Chief Madry, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning to, you know, all the listening community. Happy Mother's Day to all. Uh, thank you for having me this morning. Chief Madry, now first let's talk about something that, uh, let's talk about this DJ battle. You had a virtual DJ battle on Friday night. People don't think of the NYPD having DJ battles. What was the whole purpose of that? Well, the whole purpose of that was just, I mean, we wanted to engage the kids. We understand that like, you know, a lot of our outlets are closed right now. And we wanted to create a virtual space where we can get uh, young people together, you know, music enthusiasts together and their families together. And so we had a little virtual DJ contest and it was a great event. We had a couple of celebrity guests stopping and, say hello and encourage the kids and encourage people watching to stay inside during this uh, tough time. And I think it was just a, a great thing to do. Now, you were one of the people that uh, when neighborhood policing was emphasized after the, the Eric Garner tragedy and some of the other things that had happened to try to improve community relations, you were you were one of the NYPD leaders that was taking the lead in terms of the a lot of outreach with the community. Uh, street soldiers, we were there for one of the block parties, I want to say like three years ago. Uh, you had officers giving out uh, ice cream bars to the kids. You had the basketball, the basketball tournaments uh, with the teens and the officers. But when you see what's happening, the the many questions about racial disparity and the social distancing enforcement right now. First of all, what are your concerns about that? And I, I want to know what you guys are are doing because I heard you're doing some, you know, you're come, trying to come up with some kind of new model and new way of doing it. So yeah. it's. You know, it's not as it's not creating as much tension in the community. 
Lisa, just you know, in regards to what we've all been seeing with the social distancing and a, a few of the videos that came out, uh, uh, you know, of course I'm bothered by that because this, because this is a time where police and community should be uniting. We're all suffering through this pandemic. Uh, well, our community members, cops, we're losing loved ones. We're losing our community legends, icons that we're losing to this uh, virus. Oh, you know, people are losing financial capabilities and financial support. So this is a time that the police and the community should be all coming together. And, you know, it, it bothers me that, you know, when when the police are out there and they're, you know, trying to address issues of social distancing, that, that some of these instances, a few instances, wind up, you know, they become violent clashes. And that's what it's not about. It's about keeping people safe. Staying, staying, uh, staying socially and physically distant from each other, and they shouldn't end with violent clashes. Um, in terms of what we've been doing, I mean, we, neighborhood policing is is our philosophy in the police department, and I know videos like this go totally against it, but it, it truly is the philosophy that I push out to the officers that we're supposed to be a resource, we're supposed to be providing information. Uh, you know, help educate the public and enforcement should really, really be the last tool. I mean, in extreme, extreme circumstances, extreme circumstances. So, again, we're going to get out there. We've never stopped being out there. We are out there trying to support all communities, and we're going to really make sure we, we, you know, I'm putting a few protocols in place, uh, building a few committees of uh, community-based organizations, violence interrupters, working with the police so we can get the right message, message out there to the community and, and enforcement can become very little. Now, now, Chief, you're also one of the one of the uh, NY leader, one of the part of the leadership of the NYPD that's been on the forefront of using social media to communicate with the community. I, you know, you post on on your uh, on your Instagram NYPD uh, PBBN, right? That's it. NYPD yes. PB. And you you post pictures. You have pictures of 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 some of your officers, African American, giving out masks to the community. But what a lot of people are seeing on social media is they're seeing uh, pictures of predominantly white communities, more affluent neighborhoods in Manhattan, where people are out in the parks. They were packed close to each other. A lot of times they weren't even wearing masks. Nobody getting any kind of enforcement whatsoever. And then they see videos of things like what happened in Canarsie several weeks ago and some of the, some of the clashes that were prominent on social media this week. What do you say to people who are listening to you right now? And they're like, Oh, that sounds nice, but I don't really quite believe that it's going to be one one rule for everybody. What do you say to them? Well, for what I say is, and, I, and remember commanding officer of Brooklyn. So I know the NYPD is on a lot of things, but I'm going to speak specifically to Brooklyn as far as what we have done. We have, uh, you know, across the community provided services, support, masks, food, uh, laptops, uh, uh, tablets. We're working with our communities. We're working with our youth. And we've done it across the board. And again, it's hard for me to say that, but all people sort of see is videos of police having violent clashes in, in Brownsville and East New York. But what I want to do to the community is this is a time for us to come together and unite. I'm putting protocols in place, the department's putting protocols in place so we can eliminate this these kind of violent clashes. We're one of, we're working closer with our community partners the mayor's office to prevent gun violence, the crisis management team, the clergy, so we can get out there 
together, work with the community, make sure the community is educated on the importance of this social and physical distancing. We want to make sure we're sharing information and providing resources. And, and enforcement, again, it was going to be a, the last option. And, you know, hopefully we don't have to see that kind of enforcement ever again. It is the time for us to come together. No, absolutely. And the uh, what are you tell what are you telling the officers because you know as as they're dealing with as they're going out to people and just because you have you have your officers in uh, Brooklyn North going out talking with people being visible in the community and not just responding to nine one one call runs. What do you what do you tell them in terms of how to handle tensions? Because a lot of people are upset, and you know this, Chief. A lot of people are really going through it right now. They're stressed out. They're they're worried about how they're going to get food. They're worried about their jobs if they still have them and jobs if they don't. You know, what do you tell your officers in terms of the climate? And then they're dealing with people, NYPD, and rest in peace and condolences to all the members of the NYPD have been lost. But what do you tell them about? You know, they're dealing with a little bit of a different public than it was a couple months ago. Absolutely. You know, what? my message to the officers is that, you know, the things that you talk about the community, a lot of the officers are going through the same thing. They're losing loved ones. They some A lot of them have gotten sick. Um, financial support, they may not have lost their jobs, but, you know, their spouses are losing jobs, you know, parents, brothers and sisters. So it becomes a more of a financial strain on them. Our officers are suffering the same thing that our community is suffering, suffering from. And this is the time to be empathetic. You know, show a little compassion and understand what people are going through. Many of our outlets are closed. Our, our churches are closed. Our, our, our ability to worship at our, our, you know, our house of worship is closed. A lot of our, our recreational outlets are closed. You know, the malls and shopping centers are closed. Favorite stores are closed. So people are really struggling. And when the weather is nice, people do just want to have an opportunity to get outside. But this is the time for the police department to show even more empathy and more compassion and just understand that we're suffering a lot of the things that the people are suffering from, too. So we want to be compassionate, be a resource to the community and work with them and be more helpful and uh, uh, eliminate these violent clashes over uh, social and physical distancing. Thanks for talking about that. You know, I think it's very important for us to also recognize that officers are also humans. They have the same issues that we all face, and they are just doing their own part to make sure that we follow rules and 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 start the spread of this. With that being said, you know, I have a quick question for you, Chief. Uh, yesterday, I spent time with Lisa. Uh, the thing now is a lot of kids are out of school. Um, a lot of these kids are idle, right? And so, if there's nothing for them to do, they most likely might get in trouble. Um, any solutions for parents or advice on how we could keep these kids busy and um, you know and keep them out of the streets? Yeah, Chief, because you you, you come up with a lot of ideas. A lot of the that we we know the city summer youth programs and youth employment programs have been canceled. Absolutely, and I'm working I'm working with uh, community organizations. Uh, one in particular, New York City Together, probably one of my you know closest uh, uh, CBOs that I work with under the leadership of Dana Rathlin, and she's actually putting something together where. She's going to do summer youth employment, a virtual summer youth employment. She's working on that right now, and I hope a lot of people follow her lead. Uh, we're going to continue to create virtual spaces where we will be doing things with the young people. The virtual DJ contest was just the first. We're thinking of other things that we can do. I know the Community Affairs Bureau just did uh, NBA 2K, um, uh, you know, a virtual uh, NBA 2K uh, contest. They're working on that. They did a little pilot over the weekend as well. So there's different different units in the department that are trying to be creative, think out of the box, 
and create these virtual spaces to help our young people. And again, that's what the, the police department, we try to do a lot of things like that. We want to be a, create a platform where people can reach out for help, get, gain resources and help keep the young people busy this summer. All right, Chief. Well, listen, thank you very much for being with us and getting us up to speed on everything that's going on. And uh, we'd love to follow up with New York City together and some of the other efforts and, and projects that you're doing there in Brooklyn North uh, with the community. I know I know our listeners would love to hear more about that. So we're, we're going to be staying in closer touch with you as we get toward as we get closer towards the warmer weather as well. Thank you so much. Just uh, everyone continue to stay safe. Have a blessed and enjoyable Mother's Day. Thank you very much. All right, Chief Jeffrey Madry from the NYPD, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, thank you. All right, 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. We have a lot of of phone calls. Let's go to uh, Toya right now. Toya, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, good morning. To everybody. I just had a question about the gentleman who called earlier as far as vaccines being safe. Okay. All right. So um, for a company that's funded by multimillionaires, that limits the voices of the scientists. So if there are any conflictions, they won't be able to say certain things for fear of lack of funding and also gag orders being placed against them. And then when there was a law passed, I forgot what year it was, when vaccines were being patented, meaning that there's money made by the vaccines produced, that's when all the power was taken away from scientists. All right. Let's um, get what's your what's your question or, or did you have a question? Yeah, my question is, like, how do we, as far as, like, what proof do we have that vaccines are actually safe, seeing that there was a bill passed to pay people off who got damaged from vaccines? So that in itself is proof that vaccines do have some issues to them. I'm not saying that all of them are horrible, but, I mean, if there's heavy metal, I mean, if you look okay, at Okay, Toy, Toy, let me, get a res- let me get a response. You're asking a lot of questions, but let me get a, re- I know the, con- the I'm familiar, and I think a lot of our listeners are, with the questions about vaccines and let's talk, let's let's find out from Dr. Manny because now we're in 2020 and I'm sure the science has improved and I'm sure the safeguards hopefully the safeguards have improved there's a lot of concerns a lot of people feel the you know have this, have the same feeling as Toya like how do we even know correct Toya I I I think there are lots of reasons um um you know to to be suspicious of the system, <laughs> right? I mean, we have multiple examples of drugs that have been in the market, like I mentioned earlier, like thalidomide, for example, that was used that we know caused birth defects down the road, right? We know um, things about it, like a Tuskegee experiment, for example, right. uh, on syphilis that was done. Uh, we know multiple cases of, of, of people being vaccinated in different communities and around, around the world. They'll find out something happened later down the road, right? Which is why it's very, very important. But for each, each time this happened, there's been a new regulation uh, put in place to ensure that it doesn't happen down the road. Using heavy metals in vaccines should not be allowed. We used to use heavy metals in paint at home, right? So lead, lead poisoning, for example. Right, which was been one of the issues, big issues in NYCHA Correct. over the years. There's Correct. a lead paint in the buildings. Correct. And so now you can't have lead in, in paint, right? Because we learn from that and see what happens, right? right. And so, uh, the, every drug, uh, that you, you have in the market, every drug from aspirin to, for aspirin, for example, is a great example where there was a long period of time when aspirin a day was meant to keep your heart safe, right? And then we found out two years ago, that maybe daily aspirin is not highly recommended anymore, right? So these are things that have been following for a long time, but we learned from it, and so we have to adjust. So because of that, you have, you have the FDA. The FDA is an independent body. It's, it's not run by corporations, it's a straight federal regu- regulatory body. 
and they do the best they can to look at the risk. And before any drug gets approved, you have to go in front of an FDA committee to show all the data sets that you have. You have to look at all the safety data. Uh, for every product that's in the market, whether it's a vaccine or a drug, the company has to collect safety information continuously. And once- So they have to have, you're saying they have to have a lot, of, a lot of studies in these clinical trials before they can even go before the FDA. Correct. Look for safety specifically. And even after the drug is approved and the drug is in the market, then you have to follow the safety records. If this, you notice that there's a spike in certain reports of particular things. So if you take a vaccine or any drug, please, any side effect, please report it. Right. And, what, and so the FDA follows this. And so if you find out that it's a high number, they, they could recall the drug. Many drugs have been recalled um, from the market based on how we, how, how we work. This happens, same thing with furniture, IKEA called recall furniture, right? Same, same with, with drugs. So the best thing here is the cost benefit. What is the benefit if you're a high risk individual from getting a vaccine or not getting a vaccine and what the outcomes are? But uh, of course, we understand people are skeptical because we've been burned in the past. And so it's very good to ask these questions and put pressure on, on the government to say, please don't rush things. That's why we, we should not focus on rushing the vaccine in. We should take the, the, the proper time. And that's what Dr. Fauci is arguing for. Let's study and make sure it works and it's safe before bringing it to the market. What kind of scrutiny do you think will be on any coronavirus vaccine? Oh, a lot of scrutiny, right? Uh, because everyone is asking these questions. Uh, but it, it is, with that being said, I think uh, because of the pressure to reopen, that's why we need to ask this question. So we need to look at the safety profile of any vaccine that comes in. We have to look at what are the long-term benefits. But of course, if we are looking at a vaccine getting the market in 12 months or 18 months from now. Which is fast, right? Which is fast. So I mean, we don't have enough time to know what happens five years from now or six years from now, right? So, so of course, the first level people, we don't know. But we, we have to go based on the best data sets that we have and then see what happens down the road. All right, 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. This is Street Soldiers. Dr. Manny is with us in studio taking your telephone calls, our Street Soldiers medical expert. And uh, we're taking your telephone calls, too, about medical issues, about social distancing enforcement. Uh, tell us what you're going through as we uh, continue to battle this coronavirus and go through this crisis, everybody together, and also how you're feeling about what's happening, how things are being handled, what's going on in your neighborhood. We want to cover it all as much as we can. This is our continuing coverage on Hot 97. I'm your host, Lisa Evers, and we'll be back right after this. WQHD HD1 New York. This is a special coronavirus edition of Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. This is our continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis here on Hot 97, 97.1 FM in New York City and the Tri-State broadcasting live uh, via live stream around the world on Hot97.com and the free Hot 97 app. We're taking your phone calls at 1-800-223-9797. Our Street Soldiers medical expert with us in studio, Dr. Manny Fambu. And uh, right now on our Hot 97 Newsmaker line is Congressman Hakeem Jeffries from Brooklyn. He is uh, the top Democrat in Congress, the Democratic Caucus. And Congressman Jeffries, great to have you with us. Good morning, Lisa. Great to be on. Happy Day to everyone. Yes, thank you for that. And um, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Um, Congressman Jeffries, you were concerned, expressed concern this week. We just had an interview with uh, Chief Jeffrey Madry from the NYPD talking about the community outreach efforts that are, are going on to try to equalize things and, and calm things down on the streets in terms of the social distancing. But you were very concerned that this social distancing enforcement was starting to look a little bit like stop and frisk. Why do you say that? Well, that's correct. The numbers speak for themselves. What you have 
is that of the 40 arrests that have been made in Brooklyn over about a six to seven week period, 35 of those individuals were black, one was uh, white, four were Latino. That's totally unacceptable, particularly when we know uh, that in terms of alleged breaches of the social distancing directives, uh, we've seen images of sunbathers gathered in more exclusive so-called gentrifying neighborhoods, uh, Domino Park and other places that were clearly in violation of social distancing protocols, uh, and they were apparently just given the red carpet treatment, as opposed to what's happening in neighborhoods like Brownsville or Bethesda-Stuyvesant or East New York, where you've seen a more aggressive form of law enforcement. On top of that, we've seen the numbers as it relates to the summonses that have been issued more than 80 percent uh, to black and Latino individuals, even though uh, in terms of ethnic groups in New York City, the majority uh, is white. And so this is deeply troubling. Uh, it reminds many of us of the dawn of the stop and frisk era, uh, where you had communities of color targeted unnecessarily in the name of alleged public safety, uh, when that proved to be nothing but a constitutional fraud. And then in terms of uh, in terms of the coronavirus crisis impact, or well, first of all, to, to finish on the social distancing enforcement as a member of Congress, though, aside from raising awareness of this, are, is there anything you are you watching this closely or, you know, what's your what's the next step on this? Because the, there are there are places within the NYPD where they're trying to come up with new approaches and I guess clear guidelines. Cause it sounds like, you know, this emergency order went into effect and we were in a state of crisis and there really weren't the same kind of guidelines that there are for other things. Are you, what, what are you watching right now? Well, in terms of Brooklyn North, I have great respect uh, for chief Madry and so do uh, many of my colleagues, community leaders, members of the clergy. We've worked closely with him uh, he's a top-rate law enforcement professional. His heart is in the right place, and he knows the community. I have, however, spoken to uh, Chief or Commissioner Shea and made clear that what we've seen across the city is not acceptable. This is one city. It's one pandemic. There's got to be one standard. And I talked directly to the mayor. I said, I think what would make sense is that some of the members of Congress who represent communities of color, including Nidia Velasquez and Greg Meeks, Yvette Clark, Adriano Espaillat, myself, I need to have a real conversation with the police commissioner as to where we're going with this moving forward. I'll also talk to Jerry Nadler, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, because to the extent that this continues, and we believe that there may be unconstitutional enforcement going forward if things don't change, similar to stop and frisk, and that ultimately resulted in stop and frisk being shut down, uh, then it does seem to me something that makes sense for the Judiciary Committee to eventually look into if we don't see a change in behavior. All right, and as we remember, it took a federal court order to uh, to to stop uh, stop stop and frisk. Let me ask you, let me ask you, Congressman Jeffries, in terms of the the coronavirus, the the, the pandemic itself. More and more medical data as it comes out uh, shows that the dis, the African American community is being disproportionately affected by it. Do you think that's being re- reflected enough in terms of the the remedies and you know just resources that are being made available? Well, the most important thing uh, initially is to make sure that we've got the data, the data becomes public, and then we can allow 
the data to drive the resources into the most vulnerable communities in New York City and throughout the country. So a step in the right direction has been the fact that the uh, state, the city, the country are now collecting data in a more comprehensive fashion, which is why we're aware of the challenges. Now, here in New York City, we know that part of the problem is that a disproportionately high number of individuals who are essential workers are black and Latino. And so people from these communities of color are being asked to sacrifice, doing so willingly, getting up, placing themselves at risk, their family at risk, their neighbors at risk, uh, because they're committed to keeping the city moving forward, but as a result, being disproportionately adversely impacted by COVID-19. And so we've got to recognize, first and foremost, that those sacrifices are being made. When you layer on top of it the fact that um, many people within communities of color, low-income communities of every race uh, throughout the city are living in denser circumstances, it increases the likelihood of transmission, and that's a challenge. And then many of these communities have traditionally been under-resourced. Yesterday, Governor Cuomo uh, and I announced a partnership with many of our houses of worship uh, throughout the city uh, so that we can ensure that there's community-based testing because the first way to get out of this is to make sure that we understand everyone's status. Once we understand their status, we can begin to do contact tracing to see who they may have come into contact with. Once we've done the contact tracing, then we know that treatment should be administered in a comprehensive and an equitable and a decisive fashion. Testing, tracing, treatment, but that all begins with the acquisition of understanding who may have been impacted and by standing up facilities throughout the community and partnering with houses of worship, uh, we hope to do that in a more comprehensive way, and I thank the governor for his leadership. No, and that's great. We've, we've been hearing here on Hot 97 uh, many of many of our listeners are essential workers and big shout out to all of them. And they've been calling in, you know, especially in the early weeks, talking about complete lack of protection that they had for when they were working and some of the challenges that they're facing. Dr. Manny, you had a question for Congressman Jeffries. Sure. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning, uh, Congressman Jeffries. Uh, keep up the great work you're doing. Um, I'm a big advocate and fan <laughs> of yours. Uh, but well, thank you, Dr. Manny. Thank you. So, so, yeah, we're talking about, um, you know, data, waiting for data sets that come in. Right. What we know, for example, if you look at chronic diseases like diabetes, heart failure, hypertension, we have data already that this is predominant in communities of color. So we, we know that. We know asthma rates, for example, are, are massive. Uh, yesterday, um, with, with Lisa, um, actually having conversations in Brooklyn yesterday, and we spoke to a gentleman there that talked about going for long periods of time only drinking soda. When the average um, person goes to a grocery store and, uh, you know, a can of soda is cheaper than water. Right. Um, so the access to what they eat and what they consume actually costs a lot to our health system in general. Right. And if you look at the budget, and I'm, I'm sure you're quite familiar with that, on how much we spend as a, as a, as a country on, on chronic diseases like heart hospital re, uh, hospitalizations, those are massive kind of things. So we know the data sets. We know that from COVID-19, the majority of people that die from this are people that have, you know, diabetes and hypertension and heart failure for multiple reasons. So, so we know that. So I think COVID-19 has exposed what has been happening with the health system. So what's been going on all along? Correct. What's been going on all along? So wh what do we do? How, I mean, how can Congress help support or how can the government help support these communities to be more proactive about healthcare? Just like we are going to use, uh, contact tracing to prevent COVID-19 in the future. I think the same should apply across every... That disease. was a really long question for Congressman Jeffries. 
Congressman Jeffries, so so basically, do you feel because, as you know too, in a lot of communities of color and low income communities, there's there's that you you know you don't see a doctor until it's like the last last minute or it's like a nine one one call. Do you feel that having these community based uh, COVID nineteen testing centers like you're you're doing with uh, Governor Cuomo is that you're advocating that this is going to help with more community engagement and get people to be more aware of their health? Well, without question, uh, and you know, certainly, Dr. Manning, thank you for your work and for laying that out in such a comprehensive way. And Lisa, to your question, um, I, I think absolutely we have to promote increased community engagement, but more significantly, increased community resources and support. Uh, because as Dr. Manning laid out, we know that within communities of color, people are suffering from disproportionately high rates of a lot of chronic illness, diabetes, heart disease, respiratory illness, asthma, uh, obesity, comorbidities that are associated with more lethal consequences connected to COVID-19, but generally uh, put these communities at risk and create an increased strain on our healthcare system. Now, why is that the case? Part of it is because we know that in many of these communities, there's an absence of access to healthy foods. So you have poor diet that is taking place in these communities, which are food deserts in many instances. That has to change. You have a lack of access to health care and primary care in particular. Uh, And so many of these conditions aren't being diagnosed early on at a stage where they can be managed, if not resolved. And as opposed to uh, doing that in terms of early detection, uh, you have these conditions build up to a point where they become increasingly lethal. Uh, And generally, we're just going to have to deal with what we've seen in America, both on the public health side, which we've been talking about, but also on the economic side. Oh, that's right where I wanted to go. Yeah, speak on that, please. Yeah. You know, because this is a twin crisis, and on the economic side, what we've seen is that you have the haves and have-nots. And in America, the richest country in the history of the world, you shouldn't have people who suffer from food insecurity. You shouldn't have people who are struggling uh, to pay the rent, acquire a home, put food uh, on the table, clothing on their back, and provide the basic necessities. This should be a country where if you work hard and play by the rules, you can provide a comfortable living for yourself and for your family. Absolutely. And that is not the case uh, in every community, and COVID-19 and the economic crisis that resulted has exposed that. So, Congressman Jeffries, in terms of and and you know it's it it breaks my like I was so so moved yesterday seeing the the community workers, the NYCHA residents association, and the all the volunteers and the the pres the presidents of the residents associations organizing their own food drives for their residents and people who had just been laid off for the first time in their lives having to accept you know food that was donated that was donated and that this is happening in America so as as the t- you're the top you know the head of the democratic caucus one of the most influential and powerful people in congress what can you tell our listeners right now about the economic outlook and what can happen because we have so many people that are still having trouble just even getting their basic unemployment checks and uh, you know are on these lines at food banks and draining the food banks because there's just such a huge demand. What can you tell our listeners about what you and your colleagues from New York can do, especially for our people? Yeah, no, thank you, uh, Lisa, for, for, for that question in terms of the economic impacts. And, 
you know, the pain, the suffering, and then the death has been enormous throughout New York City and across the country in connect, connection with the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, our initial intervention and legislation that uh, we refer to as CARES 1.0, uh, we made sure that there were direct payment stimulus checks to everyday Americans. More than 100 million of those checks have gone out and have been received. I think there may still be some individuals who traditionally file with the IRS via paper who may be waiting for checks uh, to be received in terms of the mail, but the majority have already received that funding. We're working on a second round uh, of direct payment checks to the American people because we believe uh, that a one-shot in the context of this economy is not sufficient. Uh, Governor Cuomo, uh, at the encouragement of many, and as a result of his leadership, has extended out the no eviction, no foreclosure uh, period of time through uh, the end of the summer. That's a step in the right direction. We're going to continue uh, to try to make sure that we can provide the increased unemployment assistance that was authorized in CARES 1.0, which in New York included and throughout the country an additional $600 per week on top of the traditional unemployment that is received. So, for instance, if in New York uh, you may have otherwise been eligible for $300 per week because of the legislation that we passed in Congress, that would be increased to $900 per week through July 31st. We want to extend that uh, unemployment enhancement out beyond the end of the year because we think the crisis economically is going to last beyond the end of the year. So that will be important. No, definitely. Uh, And then lastly, we are looking at, uh, led by Chairwoman Maxine Waters of the Financial Services Committee, a $100 billion fund so we can help millions of people pay their rent uh, and a $75 billion fund so we can help low and moderate income homeowners pay their mortgage as well. And then, and, and that that is wonderful. But uh, Congressman Jeffries, what is your what is your take on this guaranteed income proposal of giving every American two thousand dollars a month guaranteed? Well, from the, the guaranteed income proposal, interesting and something that we're looking at. I think what has gotten a lot of support uh, is the paycheck guarantee proposal uh, being sponsored by Pramila Jayapold, who's from. Uh, with uh, Washington and one of the leaders of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, I support the legislation. It's based off what is being done in Europe, uh, where in different countries, approximately 80% of someone's paycheck is guaranteed uh, by the central government on a moving forward basis until we get through the crisis. Uh, And we're looking at what can be done here in New York State throughout the country uh, to model uh, America on what is being done in these European nations to guarantee someone's paycheck. Now, you'd still have to continue a robust unemployment system for those who aren't employed, uh, but if you can stand up basically their paycheck guarantee program, then you can dramatically reduce the amount of unemployment uh, throughout the nation until we can get through this COVID-19 crisis. All right. Well, Congressman Jeffries, uh, thank you very much for being with us. And I hope you'll uh, stay in touch with us as these these issues come before Congress and there's action on them. We, we would love to let our listeners know about the, the great work that you're doing uh, for the people of New York. Well, thank you.
you, Lisa, for all that you have done and continue to do in getting information to the people and look forward to staying in touch. Thank you, Dr. Manny, for your work in the public health space. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. This is Hot 97, 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Taking your telephone calls. Do I have time for a little question? Okay. Uh, we've got a couple of questions and calls a little bit on the uh, police issue as well. Marcos has been hanging on for a long time. Marcos, uh, you're on Good Hot Good morning. 97. How are you today? Happy right. Mother's Day to New York and the metro area. All right. What's your question? Uh, yes. So my question is centralized as how is the mass surveillance of citizens in the United States applicable to solve the coronavirus-19 when the COVID-19 receptor gene is very similar to SARS-CoV-1, which Dr. Fauci experienced in 2003. On March 8th, Dr. Fauci explicitly um, gave us notice on 60 Minutes that masks were only permanently to be worn by healthcare professionals, not by the public because it might generate All right, no, this is a, you're raising an excellent point because a lot of people... New York City and metro area is tired of the tyranny caused by... Um, Governor Cuomo and Governor Phil Murphy. Okay, Marcos, let me just get it. You're raising, you're raising a point about, to me, the point of your, of your call is really the core of it is about trust. Dr. Manny, Marcos does raise a point about initially the CDC was, oh, you don't, you don't really need a mask, only if you're a healthcare professional on the front line. And then they kind of reluctantly reverse that because people just started wearing masks because they wanted to protect themselves. What do you think about this trust factor? Does this bother you or concern you? Uh, what There is a certain amount of distrust of the medical establishment and medical information. And politicians as well, right? So it comes right. from, from, from multiple angles of it. Yes, so we do know. So the, fir- the, the first thing, um, you know, I know you mentioned with, with Dr. Fauci and, you know, governor, mayor, <laughs> different parts of it. And I understand your frustration and concern. And that's what people have been um, shocked about. Say in January, for example, February, those, 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 those guidance about people not wearing masks. Um, at, that, at that point in time, there were other people wearing masks, right? But people would say, don't buy a mask. It's okay. And it's, there's actually a proactive movement of don't wear a mask. <laughs> right. It <laughs> right? wasn't just like, don't wear it. They were like, don't, don't wear, wear it. Ma- yes, like, correct. You don't it was a proactive to- effort not to wear a mask. Yes, so yeah, you, you are correct with that. But at that point, we do not know what we know today, right? So it is okay to say, I don't know. And it's okay to say, uh, we learn something new and then we adapt to that. What we know today is we should wear a mask and the, this virus is airborne. And so that, that's, that's what we, st- that's what we stand and information is there. That's what we do and try to educate everyone. And, and I think the thing too is it, it's the same thing with news. You know, the way news comes out, news develops in the news business is, is with a, a pandemic is there, this, this came out of nowhere almost. It seemed like people didn't, there wasn't a lot of information about it and things had to be done fast. So it's like anything else, you know, the first time you do it, it might not be the right way, but then you're like, Oh, we can do it better. And this is how we improve and improve and improve. So people, people need to understand too is like what was said. It's like your life. I mean, I'm sure there's things you were doing two months ago. You're not doing now. You know, everything has to change. Everything's constantly evolving. That's what life is. Like smoking. There's a point where doctors used to smoke on commercials, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Doctors are promoting smoking. You'd smoke in movies. And Correct. But now, now we know it's now not right. people aren't smoking. Correct. So it's just that uh, you learn and you, you move on. Exactly. All right. 1-800-223-9797. Street Soldiers. We'll be back right after this. This is Hot 97 Street Soldiers. Hosted by Lisa Evers.
Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Uh, we are talking about the coronavirus. This is a part of our continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis. We're taking your telephone calls at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. And uh, this is, you know, this is just something that a lot of people are having trouble dealing with. And happy Mother's Day to all the, all, all the moms and and everyone out there, but um, it's a real tragedy for the, the family of five-year-old Christopher Henderson. He was a five-year-old. He was five years old, Doctor Manny, and he passed away from what they believe was a COVID nineteen-related illness. So, according to some of the published reports, they say that he developed a fever, a stomach pain, and headaches. So his mother took him to Bronx, Lebanon, and they did a CT scan. They said there was something around his lungs. His kidneys started to fail. They took him to another hospital. He had heart surgery, wound up having a blood clot in his brain, and uh, a few days later was pronounced brain dead and then, you know, passed away. I mean, this is this is so horrible. Our, our condolences to the family of Christopher Henderson, uh, to his mom, Diamond Ross. It's, I can't even imagine what kind of a um, Mother's Day this is for her going through having the recent loss of his son to his grandfather, Dwayne Dennis. And, uh, you know, we hope to talk to them at, at some point on the show here and express our condolences. But when you hear about this, the way this disease is manifesting with this related mystery illness and you hear those kind of symptoms, Dr. Manny, what do you think about that? I, I think it's very sad. Every time you lose someone, especially a young person, um, it's, it's definitely heartbreaking. Um, for this to happen right around Mother's Day is um, a double heartbreaker. Right? So our, our thoughts and prayers definitely go um, to the mother and grandmother of, of, of this child and other uh, mothers that have lost their, their, their kids to this. Uh, you see, the, the big challenge here is, um, you know, with COVID-19, we have been told to stay away from the hospital. Um, in general, right? Um, out of fear of, of being exposed um, to, uh, to the virus. And uh, we know that initially um, there wasn't a lot of concern for young people. We actually had articles and publications, uh, uh, messages around kids were not severely um, infected with this or were not affected in a certain way. Even if uh, we knew that kids um, could be exposed and get infected, I mean, what can we do about it uh, but to try to prevent kids from getting sick, right? And if they did, we're looking at respiratory symptoms, right? We talked about symptoms in adults, for example, like fever, loss of smell and taste, um, right? Uh, have a difficulty breathing. And then you find out all of a sudden, unfortunately, you have a kid, for example, that had a fever. And even if you call the hospital, and I would like, I mean, we'll speak to the mother to find out, you know, how long the fever lasted and what exactly how the symptoms presented. But you can see a case where you're not really concerned, right? Abdominal pain. Uh, diarrhea. Uh, kids uh, get that all the time. Correct. Right? And, and then rash. They could eat whatever and they could get the same kind of pains, right? And with this particular virus, uh, what we know today is actually causes something called myocarditis, which is basically inflammation of the heart itself. And it also causes inflammation of the blood vessels in the heart. So this inflammation could actually destroy the heart, um, the heart, the heart itself. And it could lead to aneurysms. We could have a rupture of the blood vessel. And very quickly, right? V very quickly. Correct. Very quickly. This could happen. This is abrupt, right? Like, remember we talked about the balloon kind of element of this, right? Or if, if you have inflammation of the heart, then the heart muscles get inflamed and the heart gets destroyed uh, for myocarditis. So it's a very uh, critical condition. And if that happens, then you have backup of fluids because uh, the heart is not working, um, right? And you could have blood clots that go up to the brain and cause a stroke. You could have a renal failure or failure of your kidneys uh, based on the backup of fluids in there. So this is a very rapid and acute uh, situation. 
And so, so here's another, but here's, and here's another piece that people is, that, that's raising questions in people's mind. They're going like, well, we were told that it wasn't really, you know, we, we were told that children were really immune, but children should, children should wear masks also, right? Correct. I mean, we were told that animals were also immune and we found out that a tiger tested positive in the Bronx Zoo. Right. <laughs> right. So, so, so we've seen these cases, uh, of these things happen. So if you, if you think about it in general, uh, Kids are human just like us, just like uh, the younger people, the teenagers that were doing spring break, uh, the young college students doing spring break in Florida thought they were also immune. Now we found out, um, right, younger people could also die from this particular condition. So the idea here is everyone, ev- every person, whether a newborn child all the way to you're 200 years old, you are not immune to this condition. You could get sick, you could get infected. And the best thing for us to do is please engage with the health system early. Do not wait till later. Because the, the longer you wait before you engage with the health system, the worse off your condition will be. Absolutely. And if the child has a fever, like when should when should parents really be concerned? If the kid has a fever, the give us so can you give break down the symptoms on this for us? Like when should a parent go? Like okay, I got to call the doctor. Correct. So in this particular case, you have uh, a, a child that has a fever, has abdominal pain, has diarrhea, vomiting, has a rash. We should definitely be have be extra cautious in this particular case, right? And if if this if the child had these symptoms in the past and they recovered, I still think you should check in with your pediatric cardiologist or your pediatrician. Reach out to your doctor. Make sure um, that the, ch- the child is screened for this. Make sure, like I said, with Kawasaki, we do know that even after kids recover, sometimes from the infections, they, they might have these cardiac aneurysms that you could. Uh, the doctor is very good at uh, doing like a cardiac echo to actually identify this. Because those hard things can happen very fast. Correct. It and, could happen and very deadly, fast. like very, da- very dangerous. C- correct. And right. And, and so these are things that are very concerning in this case. So you want to find out because your heart sends blood to the rest of your body. Without right? it. Right. Correct. So if it's inflamed, then your heart is destroyed. Uh, you have inflammation in these blood vessels, especially younger people with the small hearts and very tiny uh, blood vessels. So you could see something uh, potentially fatal. And then what do you think about uh, the White House? Because this was the big news, you know, members of the White, White House Coronavirus Task Force uh, taking precautions. The president's valet tested positive for coronavirus. Dr. Fauci's in semi-isolation or semi-quarantine. Um, what, what do you think about this? Do you think this is going to change how they're dealing with the crisis because it's literally hit home? Correct. I'm just trying to figure out what semi-quarantine is. You know, you're quarantined or you're not quarantined, right. <laughs> right? So it's not, it's not like you see the virus showing up and then you're like, Hey, I'm right. going to quarantine away from the virus. I'm Monday through Friday. And then on the weekends, I'll take the weekends off. Correct. Right. Which is the same thing as uh, wearing the chin mask, right? right? So when people see someone, they put it up as if you see, you see the virus coming, right? So the overall idea here is this. If you look in general, uh, when you start off, people are more defined and ignorant to this. And then the more it gets closer to them and becomes more real, People take um, advanced precautions, right? Um, and this is for all of us, right? Initially, I mean, in January, February, we all still go into events, right? And we didn't think about this, even though people were dying in it- in Italy and in-, in Washington State, we didn't take that much. Uh, we didn't pay that much attention to it. But things got worse over time, and so we became, um, uh, you know, more cautious. So I I think that we all need to be more proactive. Uh, having the right mindset that we're going to learn more. So the best way to, to be is to be extra paranoid, right? And have this more universal precautions to say, listen, I'll clean as much as I can. I will try to decrease exposure as much as I can beyond what is expected. Don't do the bare minimum. Do above and beyond. Exactly. All right. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Kenneth. Uh, let's go to Stephen right now. Stephen, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. How you doing? So, you know, the, the thing that we need to really, um, Shine a spotlight on is uh, the hospitals in in the in our 
in inner city communities. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, and in Brooklyn, I, I have some. I could tell you some horror stories about my experience going to the emergency room for a cold, for something as simple as a cold. Watching people lay on the floor, thriving in pain. Uh, nurses and doctors walking by like they don't see them. It, we weren't equipped for day to day normal um, hospital visits. We, we just wasn't equipped for that. So there's no way we was prepared for something like this. We need more oversight with these hospitals. Right now, if a hospital fail inspection in our communities, they close them. You know, I was born in St. Mary's Hospital. It's been closed for years in Brooklyn. Um, if they don't meet certain standards, they just close them. They're not looking to improve them. And the ones that may um, meet their standards somewhat, they'll keep them open and, can, and they'll continue to run poorly. So I think one of the things we need to focus on is just as important as education and economics is the hospital care. Um, and I'm not talking about people who don't have insurance. I'm not talking about clinics. I'm not, I'm talking about our hospitals and you, even in the Newark area of New Jersey, poor, uh, Brooklyn, poor, Manhattan, poor. Um, it's something we need to take a look at and start, you know, pushing our politicians to get involved and make sure that we're getting the proper care. There's and we need some basic customer service training from our nurses <laughs> and our doctors. There needs to be more care um, shown to these patients in the innocent communities. You know what, Stephen, you're, ra you're raising such a great point, and I think that's one of Dr. Manny's uh, key focal, focal points with a lot of the work that he's doing in terms of, of public health. What do you think about what Stephen is saying? And there have been so many changes in terms of the hospitals, and they're changing names, they're combining, some are closing. It's, it's very confusing to people. Correct. I mean, uh, Lisa, I think the, the caller is spot on. Even yesterday in, in our conversations, um, uh, even in Brooklyn, right? Uh, we had conversations about um, you know, uh, residents of a particular area in Brooklyn that would not go to the hospitals closer to them, right? They have people traveling to other hospitals in, in Manhattan. Farther away. F further away, right? Uh, just because, yes, they have better quality of care there. They felt like the services around where they were was was pretty bad. And, and they actually had the belief, and they said this, that because most people in, in the in community had Medicaid, they were just there to build them for Medicaid, right? I mean, that was right. the reality of what's said. It is true that some hospitals have poor quality of service, right? Not every hospital is the same. Not every doctor is the same. I always, I always make a statement that uh, even if you went to Harvard or you went to Cornell or Columbia to medical school, when you graduate, someone graduated as a doctor, but they also came last in class, right? But they also graduated. Right, <laughs> right? exactly. So it's the same kind of concept where you want to make sure you have the best uh, doctor, the best access to care. We know that uh, people that get sick, especially today, if you show up uh, in different hospitals, uh, the customer care is very important because the amount of attention they pay to you to actually revive you will be completely different if you go to a place, place where someone actually cares about you. So that's very important. And I think this great should be made uh, public so people actually understand where they're going. All right, 1-800-223-9797. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but what I want to say is uh, going up to the top of the hour here, we're on live until uh, 9 a.m. If you, I'm taking, We're taking two kinds of phone calls right now. We're going to take phone calls for Dr. Manny about coronavirus, any kind of medical or health health questions. Uh, we're taking, and, and we'll also, we're going to lift, Jack the Mac, we're going to listen, we're going to lift the ban on shout-outs. We're going to lift the Hot 97 ban on shout-outs, and you can give a quick shout-out to your mom um, if you want, and tell us why she was so great, what, how, what you know, why she made you so great. All right? 1-800-223-9797. That and the medical calls. This is Hot 97 Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. We'll be right back. 
This is Hot 97 Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers. 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. We're taking your telephone calls. And since it's Mother's Day, we're going to let have some quick, short shout-outs to your mom if you want to. We're happy to do that. Let's go to Irene right now. Dr. Manny with me in the studio. Irene, hi. You're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, everyone. First, morning. I want to give a shout-out to my mother, okay. Dr. Regina Kamani, who raised Dr. Manny and I, That's as my well sister. as my sister. <laughs> yeah. she's, a, she's a doctor, too. But she went through the, she went, you went through the regular... You know what? I'm giving you a big shout-out because you went through the regular calling system. You didn't, you didn't pull yes. any strings. I, I got hung up on, and I called right back. Yes. So I'm calling to support you all. Thank so you. thank you for educating the community on this. Really appreciate it. So my question is, when, you know, if we look at, we don't know so much about COVID-19, right? And we're learning so much as we go through it. Now, we know that it has a big factor when it comes to respiratory disease. Now, other things are being uncovered when we're talking about the heart. We talk about Kawasaki's disease and other things. Now, has there been any thought on maybe this could be transmitted other ways than through droplets and airborne? Because you see countries that do not even do social distancing or wear masks. And your cases are not as high. And then recently in New York, you have people that were quarantined at home. They're showing up with this. So I know these are all mysteries, but has there been any data uncovering that this could be transmitted in other ways? In other ways. Excellent, excellent question. Irene, great to meet you on the telephone, and thank you so much for calling in. And happy Mother's Day to you. And You're happy welcome, Mother's Day. Lisa. And, thank you. And happy thank Mother's you. Day to you. You're a doctor. Happy Mother's Day. To you and Dr. Manny's mom, who's a nurse, who my mother, may she rest in peace, was an RN from uh, Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn. So uh, happy Mother's Day. I see the kids in the background. All right, go make them breakfast. You hear my kids. All right. Thank you. We'll go. uh, We'll get an answer from Dr. Manny. Dr. Manny, what about what your sister was asking in terms? And she's a doctor, too. Correct. Okay. What, What about, honestly, don't scare us too much, but what about? Other methods of transmission where the drop besides the droplets, we were among the first people to talk about this airborne transmission aspect of it. What about that? Correct. We know, um, Lisa, that the virus has been found in stool. Right. We talked about this. We know it's found in stool. Uh, We know uh, actually just last week um, that the virus is found in semen um, as well. Right. So these these are publications uh, that people have done research on. So. Do we know if that is infectious uh, yet? Or probably we don't know that. But it's like quite, coronavirus could be transmitted like an STD. We don't know, but we know it's in semen, so we don't know what happens from that, right? So we don't know if it's infectious from that. We know right now it's a respiratory disease, but we know <laughs> right that publications around this. So those are things that need to be explored more. And down the road, this could be a completely different conversation, right? So, so this this is public information. And, and w- when we had this conversation uh, a while ago about even if you look at um, at food. Uh, and and the, the discussion became, you know, we know that pe- people uh, in the stool samples of patients that have been infected, they were positive. So does that mean if, if someone comes in contact with the stool of someone, right? And if you look at, if you live in areas where we know, um, you know, from water supplies, if you get infected from this, um, you know, does this spread through other ways? We don't know this, but we know that it's found in, in, in body fluids. All right, we have uh, one of the heroes, frontline heroes of this fight against the coronavirus pandemic on our Street Soldiers Newsmaker line, Dr. Mauricio Miglietta. And uh, let's go to the man who's known as Dr. Migs, to everybody who uh, work, works with him and, and knows him. Dr. Mauricio Miglietta, thank you so much for being with us on Hot 97. Good morning, 
morning, Lisa. Good morning, good. Manny. How are you guys? Good morning. Good, good morning, Dr. Miggs. Can you tell us? For I know you, you work with uh, Hudson. You run Hudson Regional Hospital. You work with a number of the hospitals in uh, New Jersey, some of the biggest ones. And can you tell? Give us a sense of what's happening in New Jersey because you, you ran uh, some of the first testing sites. You've had, you know, you operate the ERs. You're, you're really on the ground there. Can you give us a sense of what's happening with the coronavirus in New Jersey? So I, I think if you had asked me that question three weeks ago, my my voice would have been very different and I wouldn't be so upbeat. Um, clearly, there's a palpable difference uh, from a few weeks ago, even three weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago till now. Um, you can definitely feel that we're, we're getting better control of this disease, that less patients are coming in, um, that staff can take a a breath at work now. Um, just a few weeks ago, just when you looked in the eyes of the other doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists and anyone who works in the hospital, whether it's the janitor or the doctors, there was a look of, of uh, not, not fear, I wouldn't say, but um, just a, a sense of feeling overwhelmed. And now we're kind of back to this is the job we do and we can handle it. So uh, that's a very big difference. You know, the sad part about it is the patients that are in the hospital now are the ones that uh, some of the patients are in the ICU, for example, are the ones who are on ventilators. And those are the ones that we're really struggling as a medical profession to kind of cure, uh, to get them off the ventilator. And, and the sad reality is, is that if you at, end up on a ventilator, you know, you're talking upper 80s to 90% that unfortunately you're not going to make it. You may be on a ventilator one, two, three, even four weeks, but chances are you're not going to make it. That's the sad reality of this. And you ask any ICU doctor or nurse or respiratory therapist, and they'll agree with that. What do you think the, the, the question, Dr. Miggs, is people are asking is what has to happen? When would you be comfortable as somebody who's been on the front line saving lives since day one? What would make you comfortable about reopening? Um, I, I think we really need to assure that we are in a very steep downward direction on that curve that we all talk about. And, and so far, you know, we, we're looking at the numbers going down. Um, we're going to hit some little peaks once in a while on the way down. But as long as the overall direction is downwards, but that we can start going back to a semi-normal society. But I don't think we're ever going to have in the coming future, a real sense of normal life. I think people are going to be very aware of their surroundings. I think they're going to be very aware of people standing close to them. I think the expectations that we need to wear masks and uh, social distancing is going to be very real in the weeks and months, uh, and it's going to become a standard way of life for us. Um, you know, quite frankly, I have not physically touched my kids in five to six weeks now. I have not given them a hug. I have not kissed them. I have not come within six feet of my own children. Uh, and I don't plan to for about another week or two based on what I'm seeing right now. So that should give you a sense. Wow. So you said, so the self-quarantine because you're in the ER and you're, you're dealing with so many patients. So yeah, the, the, Dr. Mix, what, what good question for you. Uh, being in the hospital, what's your advice now? Because we get a lot of calls and we talk to people 
uh, and they are sick at home, but they are scared to go to the hospital. I've actually heard statements from people saying, hey, people that go to hospital are those that die. Right. Like, so can you talk on that, uh, on the number of, the, like from a volume perspective, people that come in and those that actually go home? <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, we, we, don't, we don't do enough to talk about the people that have recovered and the people that have gone home. Correct. What, what about that, Dr. Miggs? Yeah, so, I, I mean, one, I think people often use the emergency room as a primary care setting. You know, uh, someone called in before with coming with a cold. Um, I think in the past we've used the ER as a catchment area because people didn't have access to primary care or, or a mid-level uh, provider. I think we're going to start seeing the use of telemedicine exponentially grow and not only grow in the, t in, in the short-term period, but something that's going to become kind of the standard, that you can call up a doctor or go on the Internet and have a visit and avoid going into the emergency room. Um, now, there is no question that when you go into an emergency room, you're exposing yourself to doctors, nurses, and other patients who may or may not have COVID. So your chances are exponentially increased. So you really need a very, very good reason to go into the hospital at this point. Exactly. Well, Dr. Mauricio Miglietta, a.k.a. Dr. Miggs, thank you so much for the amazing, amazing work and the sacrifices that you've made uh, helping so many people in the state of New Jersey get through this crisis and the leadership that you're providing uh, to your doctors and nurses and, and medical staff there. And uh, we, we really thank you for that and just wanted to honor that and recognize that. And thank you for calling into Street Soldiers. Thanks for having me, and uh, happy Mother's Day to mothers out there. All Have right. a good day. All right, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh uh, Dr. Mauricio Miglietta, one of the one of the medical leaders, I would say, in the state of New Jersey, on the front lines. Let's take some shout outs. What do you think, Jack the Mac? We got some. Let's do some quick uh, lightning round here of Mother's Day Mother's Day shout outs. Hi, James. You're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Yeah, I just want to give a um shout to my deceased mother, um Nadine, and my current fiance Sandra for uh, Happy Mother's Day. I'm out in the uh, isolation units, man, helping the people. Well, just wish everybody a happy Mother's Day. All right, James, thank you so much for that. Let's go to Shah right now. Shah, hi, you're on Hot 97. Yes, this is Sal. How you doing, Lisa? I'm sitting in Irvington on Springfield and Maple Avenue. All right, Just Maple drinking Avenue. my coffee. Okay. You know, social distancing, I quarantine my car. <laughs> I got my hand sanitizer, my mask, and my sun visor. But real quick, I want to give a shout-out to my mom, Alice Dockery, my sister, April Dockery, my mom, my my daughter's mom, Shalia Williams, her mom, Evelyn Williams, and those are my my backbone, my support team. They're good moms. I love their out of death. And quick, we're going to get through this. Everybody practice social distancing, quarantine your house, get the bleach out. Lisa, I was sitting here just, I actually voice recorded this because I want to play this segment back. Wish I could have spoke to the doctor, but uh, enjoy your Mother's Day, and I love y'all. Irving to stand up, 07111. All right, Irvington, stand up. Shout out to everyone in Irvington. Always get a lot of love there. Sal, thank you so much, and shout out to the Dockeries and the Williams moms, uh, all the mo all the moms in that fa those families, and and thank you so much. And call us ne next Sunday because uh, you know, for lucky, Doctor Manny will be back with us again, and we'll be taking those phone calls. Let's go to Chris right now. Chris, hi, you're on Hot ninety seven. Go right ahead. Oh, did I not hit that the right way? Okay. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris, you're on Hot ninety seven. Go right ahead. Hello? Hey, Chris, you need to turn the radio down in the background. Hold on, my baby. Stop. Yeah, 
Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, now we hear you. What's your uh who's your shout out for? I wanna give much um big love and a hug to my mom. Shout out because she raised you as a good kid. Wish her happy Mother's Day and wish her the best to her. I love her for all that she did to me and much love to everybody at their hot ninety seven and just wanna wish happy Mother's Day to everybody in the world. All right, Chris, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much uh, for the call. Let's go to Ace right now. Ace, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Lisa, good morning. Good Blessings morning. Queen. Real quick, I just want to shout out um, our first caller, James. You know, he had the deceased mother. I just want to say blessings to you, King, and, and she in a in a much better place right now. She's waiting on you. But um, That's now, beautiful, I that's beautiful say, Ace. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, thank you, Lisa. I want to say happy mother, Mother's Day to to the strongest, most beautiful woman I know, Miss Carolyn Rosario. She she has made it through so much, and she's still here, and she's strong. And I just want to say, you know, I love you, Mom, with all my heart. And and you got another 100 years ahead of you, so so keep it up. And um, on behalf of myself and all the kin in the world, I want to say happy Mother's Day and, and blessings in abundance to all the women in the world, and, and just blessings to all of y'all. And you too, Lisa. You have a wonderful day, all right? All right, Ace, that was beautiful. Thank you so very much. We appreciate that. All the positivity. You know, Dr. Manny, it's very important. You know, we we, we got to get Dr. Jeff back on the show next weekend, talk about the mental health things. A lot of men, But it's, it's important that even though this is a very unusual time, we're in the middle of this crisis, that we still celebrate the, you know, that we still celebrate these things that are, are so important to us as human beings, like Mother's Day. Correct. It is. It is very important, um, right? Because we we are still human, especially in this world today, when we have social distancing. Right? That you know, going to any building, there's tables separating you from every other human. Uh, people you don't know look at you suspiciously. So being able to unite and celebrate something like this around mothers is um, uh, is part of humanity, right? And it makes us uh, stay strong together. We are, we are in this together, right? And we will survive it together. We just need to uh, you know follow the the precautions and uh, get information as we as we get them and and practice safe uh, distancing, and we'll be fine. And I think one of the hardest things too about the the mask, you know, especially when you're on the especially when you're on the streets is. You can't tell what the person's expression is. It's very hard to like signal with your eye, like smile with your eyes or it's, you know, you can't, as you're walking past, it's hard to get the person's vibe because everybody's kind of like in their, in their own shell. You know, you're in the mask and, you know, this weekend we, everyone's had coats on because it was so cold. It's like you're in your shell. So you don't really get that sense of like, is this kind of a friendly person? Can I risk a smile or can I say hi or whatever, you know? Great. Even yesterday we, we had discussions, um, like when, when, uh, in, in, uh, in the Bronx yesterday or Queens, we had conversations with people within communities that look at, uh, their friends that, and they're all covered up in masks, right? And they don't know if, if they know that person or not. So everyone is just waving to everyone, <laughs> right? But that's still good, right? Just wave to people. It's okay to say hello to people. It's okay, you know, uh, to make sure Everyone is going through something, right? And you can't tell necessarily from uh, what what you see externally. So saying hello, you might put a smile on someone's face and actually change the way someone's day goes. So it's very important for us to still maintain our humanity while we are practicing uh, social distancing. No, abs- absolutely. And uh, we just want to shout out everybody that's uh, you know that's involved in this and doing such great work in the communities. And uh, we had some some great interviews today here on the show and great callers. We want to. I uh, thank special thanks to Congressman Hakeem Jeffries 
uh, for calling in on our Hot 97 Newsmaker line um, and also talk, you know, keeping us up to date also about what's happening economically and what's ahead uh, in terms of relief. We also want to say a big thank you to NYPD Chief Jeffrey Madry, uh, Brooklyn North for calling in and giving us on the on the Newsmaker line and giving us all that information about what they're trying to do to improve this whole issue with the community relations around social distancing. And uh, Hero Frontline Doctor, Dr. Mauricio Miglietti, a.k.a. Dr. Miggs, for the incredible sacrifices that he has made um, over the last two months, treating so many patients, helping so many people recover from the coronavirus, basically saving lives with his hospitals and his doctors and his nurses and, and his own personal efforts. And... Uh, you know, just just so many people out there, and of course, big big shout. We got to give one more big shout out to the to Brooklyn and Brooklyn and the Bronx. Okay, this is sense of unity here. This isn't Brooklyn versus the Bronx. This isn't my favorite Bronx rapper versus my favorite Brooklyn rapper. This is all unity. Big shout out to Bronx River Houses, to Danny Barber, the the uh, city citywide council of presidents, president of that, and also resident of the Jackson Houses. Shout out to all of our friends at the Jackson Houses. We'll come around and see you soon. Again, once again, too. Shout out to everybody at Bronx River. Uh, Norma Sanders, the president of the Residents Association there. And in Brooklyn, everybody at Lafayette Gardens who showed us so much love yesterday. Um, thank you so much for that. Thank you to President, uh, Resident Association President Tyree Stambeck and also to uh, everybody that we talked to, the residents there, sharing their stories about what they were going through so Dr. Manny could get a real different perspective than you get in those fancy conferences from uh, about what's really happening in the community. Correct, and I'm about to get in trouble um, if I don't give a happy mother's shout-out to the mothers of my family. Uh, go, right, go right ahead. <laughs> right. That's the least we can do for you volunteering your time to come uh, have, sh- give your medical expertise to us on Street Soldiers. You can do a shout-out. Thank yes. you. So uh, shout-out to my, my grandmother. Um, she passed away, but uh, happy Mother's Day. And to all the, all the mothers of my family, especially uh, Martina Milova, taking great care of Elise and Eve, and uh, to my sister, of Irene and my mother, of course, that I hope is listening. Uh, happy Mother's Day to everyone. All right, there it is. And happy Mother's Day to, to all of you. And thank you. Ha- happy All the Mother's Day to everybody, part of the Hot 97 WBLS um, MS Media Co. family. So we got a lot of mothers that are listening on that. And uh, okay, let me, I think the shout out lines, we're going to have to shut that down because we got what, about one or two more minutes here? All right. And Dr. Manny, in, term, in terms of the testing again, because that that's a lot of people are going to have access to this. Antibody testing starting this week in some of our key communities throughout New York. Who should who should try for that? Who should go for that? The antibody testing. Actually, they are at this point. I think I mean, in, like in New Jersey, for example, Jersey City. I know is yeah open for everyone. Anyone can come in and get tested. Right. Um, you I have think, to make appointments here in New York. So. Correct to so make appointments and go in. But I think everyone should make the appointment um, to go out and get tested because um, there's no harm in it, right? Right. Uh, and that's the best way. In the ideal world, everyone should get tested and everyone should know exactly what their status is. And then we could say, hey, if you are. Uh, antibody positive, but you negative for the antigen, you go in one section, right? And those that are positive that have recovered should go in one um, section, and then we could open up. So I think, yes, I, I think as much testing as possible, everyone should get tested. All right, and I just, uh, I'm going to take, we got about a minute or so left in the show. I just want to thank everybody here at Hot 97 for my t- incredible team, Lisa, everybody making the show go. We got Jack the Mac on the boards here, keeping us on the air. We got DJ Mike Medium, Team Lisa, uh, getting the links out, which will have the links out of this show. So if you want to hear the show again, because there was a lot of information that was given out, uh, we will be posting the show tonight on t- my Twitter, at Lisa Evers, and 
the uh, show will be available on multiple platforms, which we'll be letting you know about tomorrow. So there'll be a link for the show uh, that will be available. It's to the podcast version. It's also going to be available on LisaEvers.com. You can always check there. We uh, uh, we put it up there uh, right away so you can, you can get that. And um, also thank you to everybody who watched the TV show. Street Soldiers TV is back. A little bit of a different version. You know, we don't have everybody in the studio. Uh, we're not, you know, it's just a different version, but we're, you know, dealing with the new normal like everybody else. So big shout out to Chris Sobel, my executive producer, uh, Vinnie Mariani, the uh, editor, uh, Jen Robichaud, who did the great promo and uh, everybody on the team. Luke Funk getting it up on the website and uh, Jacob Flanagan, like the whole team at Fox 5 that that helped make that possible. So thank you all to everybody for that. Thank you to everybody who tuned in. If you want to be on this show, because people are asking me on Instagram and some of the other social media platforms, uh, just send us an email, streetsoldiers at hot97.com. And Anaya, our producer, will be uh, be able to get back to you and, and talk with you about whether or not you know you might be able to be on the show. We want to hear from as many, or at least arrange a phoner for you. And we want to you know get as many voices out here as possible. Thanks to Marilyn here, who's been handling the phones today. And uh, Anaya for helping with the producing and keeping the show running. And uh, that's it. So... Thank you so much to everybody. Uh, check me out on Fox 5 News today at 6 and 10. You know, hashtag can't stop, won't stop. We're out there. This is a crisis, and we're going to get you the information. If you have some people in your community who are doing great things, let us know about it. Street Soldiers at Hot97.com. And you know the Hot97 digital team, uh, Louis Mercado and everybody on digital. Thank you so much for all of your support with uh, Street Soldiers and also with the Lisa Evers reports. You can check those out on hot Ninety Seven. Uh, at Hot 97 Instagram. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Let's push for peace, love, and health.